Hey everyone, and welcome back to Sex Ed Podcast. I'm Jen. And I am Kaylee. This week, uh, we are actually going to be diving into sex education from a policy perspective. You know, we've talked a lot about the sex ed that we've gotten and our friends have gotten and people that have been on the podcast have gotten. Uh, And I think that those stories are really powerful, but it is interesting to take a look into, you know, where our government are dipping their little toesies into both the content of sex education as well as funding. We hope you enjoy. Let's start off by talking about generally what sex ed policy is in America. I'm I I'm not sure if we have any sort of federal guidelines or if it's mostly controlled by states. In the United States, there are no federal mandates on sex education requirements. That means that basically each state will define the content that is being taught in their sex education curriculums. Uh, And it kind of depends on the state. So Mm. some states define that curriculum at a state level and others push it to more of a regional level. Oh, like even smaller than states. Yeah. So like that could be county, that could be city. So I do have some kind of interesting state laws that we can kind of discuss. Obviously, it's going to take way too much time to go over all 50. I read through all of them and I wrote down some that I thought were really interesting. So a lot of them specifically have legislation saying that there's like all curriculum for sex education should promote abstinence, including Arizona, like verbatim says promote abstinence in their laws. Um, Does that differ from abstinence only? I believe so. I think that a lot of these states want you to promote abstinence, but not abstinence only. They just want to say that it is the best option. I had a sex ed teacher who told us that basically, that legally she had to tell us that Mm -hmm. abstinence was, you know, the best way and the only way to prevent pregnancy 100% and STDs 100%, which I think we've talked about is technically true. Yeah. But not realistically true. (laughs) Another interesting one, Louisiana, for instance, theirs says any public elementary school or secondary school in Louisiana may but is not required to offer instruction in subject matter designated as sex education. So it's almost like they made a law saying that they can do it. They won't get in trouble for doing it, but they are not required to give any sex education. I just thought that was was like a lot of words to be like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Missouri's, (laughs) this is a fun one. The educational programs shall stress moral responsibility in and restraint from sexual activity and avoidance of controlled substance use, whereby HIV can be transmitted. A lot of these laws are wrapped up in HIV education Mm. as well. So I think that's where that comes from. A little, little bit of fear mongering here and there. Yeah, stress stress that if they, you know, do have sex, that they will get an STD and that, you know, it's their moral imperative <laughs> to not and that they're morally unacceptable if they do get an STD. And also HIV will kill you. 
right? <laughs> like very, but make it legalese, you know? It's like very yeah. <laughs> fear-mongering. Tennessee prohibits instruction and distribution of materials that promote gateway sexual activity, which I would love <laughs> to know what that means. <laughs> wow. Is that like marijuana leads to acids? So like blowjobs <laughs> lead to penetration? Like what? <laughs> what does that mean? I wish I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are some good ones. So North Carolina says materials used must be age appropriate, objective, and based on scientific research that is peer reviewed and accepted by professional and credentialed experts in the field of sexual health education. Wow. I love that. I know. Yeah, I love it. It's to hear great. It. Um, Washington State says abstinence may not be taught to the exclusion of other materials and instruction on contraceptives and disease prevention. So they, I think, are the only state with a rule saying that you can't only teach abstinence. And I wonder if that applies to private schools. I don't know. My thought is no. I mean, just to probably just not. <laughs> thinking about the education we got in private schools, I don't mm-hmm. think <laughs> right. that, that is. It probably doesn't matter. Oregon says information about those risks, which I believe it is talking to pregnancy and STIs, STDs, shall be presented in a manner designed to allay fears concerning risks that are scientifically groundless. Wow. Again, another great one. California's is really long, but I guess maybe (laughs) I'll read it. Each school district shall ensure all pupils in grades 7 to 12 receive comprehensive sexual health education and HIV prevention education from trained instructors. Each student shall receive instruction at least once in junior high school or middle school and at least once in high school. The information must be age appropriate, medically accurate, and objective. A school district that elects to offer comprehensive sex education earlier than grade 7 may provide age appropriate and medically accurate information. So if you noticed that a couple of those laws required sex ed to be medically accurate and thought maybe that was a little bit weird, I will explain to you why. Please do. (laughs) Only 22 states right now actually have a law requiring programs to be medically accurate. Womp womp. (laughs) Which means that the rest of the states can say whatever the hell they want. And if no one makes a stink about it, then it, that's just what your kids are taught. Yeah. Only nine states right now require programs to be appropriate to the student's cultural background and not be biased against any race, sex, or ethnicity. Nine states. Yikes. Only three states prohibit programs from actively promoting religion. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Meanwhile... 39 states plus D.C. require information on abstinence, and 29 of those states require that abstinence be stressed, as in, like, pushed above all the other things, which is, I don't know if you guys know how to count, but that's over half. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys knew we had 50 states, but uh, 29 (laughs) is indeed more than half of 50. Yes. That is, that's kind of uh, upsetting, you know? So I have one final horrific statistic or I guess Wonderful. chunk of chunk of data right here, uh, which is that 17 states and D- D.C. have requirements, either inclusive or discriminatory, of 
sexual orientation. So 11 states in D.C. are inclusive, but six states require only negative information be provided about homosexuality and and put a positive emphasis on heterosexuality. What the fuck? And these are in public schools, public schools. So, so hold on. Can we give, can we have more detail around that? Like what, what exactly is required? Like, are they, do they have to say that like homosexuality is associated with higher risk of STDs and HIV or something like that? Like what's the source that I was using was particularly focused on HIV and AIDS. So Mm. a lot of these laws came about as the AIDS epidemic was happening. So I would not be surprised if that was hand in hand with trying to put yeah. Bad emphasis on being gay. That's really, really interesting and terrible. Yeah. So I think something interesting to look at now that we've kind of touched on is that a lot of these laws came about due to an AIDS scare. So let's walk through a timeline because, you know, it kind of seems crazy that the laws are all over the place depending on the state. And mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these laws also came about before any studies were done on abstinence only versus comprehensive sex education. Sure. From what I have studied, there are basically sex education in schools started way back in like the 1918, 1920s because mm-hmm. soldiers, uh, I guess that would be in World War One. We're mm-hmm. coming down with syphilis and gonorrhea. <laughs> and they and, were like, how? Yeah, What's happening? So <laughs> they found out that if they just did some simple education on like safe sex, mm-hmm. then they could drastically change that number. So sex ed started happening in schools. And in the 1930s, the U.S. Office of Education started actually publishing materials to be used everything kind of started to change around the 60s and 70s. So in 1964, Sexuality Information and Education Council of the U.S. was founded. They actually still exist. They're kind of responsible for a lot of really great comprehensive sex education material. But also around that time, you know, after kind of the sexual awakening times of the 60s and 70s. (laughs) Sexual revolution, yeah. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Religious groups, you know, kind of reared their heads in the back and the AIDS crisis was happening in the 80s. So right around the 80s and 90s is when you start to see a lot of religious groups really pushing back against sex education. Right. They had the view that, you know, all the sex education in schools was encouraging people to go have more sex. Uh, We know now that that is not true. Not true at all. (laughs) (laughs) But that is what they thought. And there were not any studies at this time. So I think it's, it's similar with what happened with drugs, you know, like people were doing a lot of drugs and then all of a sudden they cracked down hard on drugs. Uh, Same thing Mm -hmm. here. People were having a lot of sex and they started to crack down on sex. (laughs) So the first instance of this that you really start to see is in 1981, the Adolescent Family Life Act went through Congress. So this was a bill that sent out funds for chastity and abstinence-only sex education. Chastity is such a gross word. Honestly. I know. How it do you really promote is. that without like, were they like handing out chastity belts? Were they like, lock up your <laughs> genitals? 
<laughs> and also be abstinent because your genitals are locked up. It's crazy that something so religiously motivated made it through our government. So is it though, Kaylee? Is it? I don't know. It's not. It's just disappointing. <laughs> so yes, there we go. This was thirteen million dollars a year that was handed wow. out by the federal government to pro. And this is a quote from the the bill two programs targeting adolescents with an abstinence only message in an effort to prevent teen pregnancy. But there was a lawsuit that happened. Uh, Actually, there's been a number of lawsuits around this, but (laughs) one of the main ones was that funds from this 13 million a year was actually being filtered towards anti-abortion and religious groups that were like explicitly using it to promote the religious agenda. So it wasn't even going to schools? It was going to It was just groups? to any groups. I mean, it was going to everything. Um, okay. Anything that basically, if they were using an abstinence-only med- uh, message, then they could get, they could apply for this funding. And this okay. actually went all the way uh, up to the Supreme Court in 1988 mm-hmm. uh, in a case, Bowen versus Kendrick in 1988. And... Uh, they decided to uphold the law. And the oh, wow. worst thing about this is that there is still, AFLA is still a thing. So Ew. there's still money being distributed by the federal government as of 2020 for abstinence-only sex education. And the uh, Arizona State University actually did a study that found that many of the programs receiving this funding had minimal scientific evidence behind the things that they were teaching. Wow, that's like, that enrages me, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) So that's fun. That's super fun. (laughs) So after that, now we're in the 90s, and I think it's really interesting to learn about these because, you know, given the fact that we were both born in the early 90s, I think mm-hmm. that we really reaped a lot of the results of things that were happening around this time. For sure. Uh, even though we went to private school. But so a couple of interesting things. In 1991, Guidelines for Comprehensive Sexuality Education was published. And this was a guide that had comprehensive sex ed for kindergarten through 12th grade that states could use. It was made through the government and it was something that people could use to base their curriculum off of. Okay. Then, uh, in 1993, there was another Supreme Court case that ruled saying that federally funded sex ed programs must not make direct references to religion. Mm. I don't know how they enforce that, but... <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you can kind of see here, there's like a little bit of back and forth between these two groups that are wanting abstinence only versus comprehensive and that really shows in 1994 when the U.S. Surgeon General Jocelyn Elders, uh, she encouraged people to be teaching about masturbation mm-hmm. because it's healthy. And then she was forced to resign. Yeah, we actually had a post about this in Masturbation May uh, last year where it, mm-hmm. it was Masturbation May was started after Jocelyn Elders did this and was forced to resign. Go Jocelyn Elders. She knew what she was talking about. It's kind of crazy Unless this, unless you're religiously or like morally motivated, I guess, why would you not want people to masturbate? Like it, masturbating is like just as good as abstinence as far as not getting pregnant (laughs) and not getting any diseases. Yeah. I don't, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. There's this like moral panic around like save the children 
And I guess I, this maybe ties into like the gateway sexuality. Like if, you know, if children mm-hmm. are masturbating, they're going to want to like have sex, which is again, like not, not backed up, but people like people freak out about protecting the children, right? When there's no, <laughs> there's no need to protect the children. Yeah. From masturbating. That is true. <laughs> but it but this is interesting to me also because mm-hmm. like they 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 say no direct mention to religion, but as we've talked about there are plenty of ways to talk about abstinence and promote abstinence only without talking about religion, right? Mm-hmm. So it it seems to me like this law probably doesn't do a lot. <laughs> All right, that's what I'm saying. Like I think you can try to even stress some kind of moral thing around abstinence without particularly saying Jesus wants you to be abstinent or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I mean, I'm glad that that's a rule, but I don't know that it really does that much. It's helpful. Yeah. Particularly when we get into some of the next rounds of funding that we are going to discuss. So the next one is title five of the social security act of 1996 allocated $50 million annually to programs that adhere to an eight-point definition of sex education. Okay. The eight-point definition of abstinence education, it's not even called abstinence-only sex education. They just call it abstinence education. So I'm just going to read them each. The first one has as its exclusive purpose teaching the social, psychological, and health gains to be realized by abstaining from sexual activity. Do they mean forever? This just says abstaining from sexual activity, like not even like until marriage. It's just just abstaining. (laughs) Interesting. Um, Okay. The next one is teaches abstinence from sexual activity outside marriage as the expected standard for all school age children. School age children literally is like five to 18. Like what are they talking about? Okay. The third point teaches that abstinence from sexual activity is the only certain way to avoid out-of-wedlock pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases, and other associated health problems. The next point teaches that a mutually faithful monogamous relationship in the context of marriage is the expected standard of human sexual activity. Who the fuck? Sorry. Who's putting (laughs) this together? Who's putting this together again? This is Is this a government-funded thing? This is, yes. This is in the law. This is part of the Social Security Act. I'm, we're only like three points in and I'm like, my brain is melting. (laughs) The next one says it should teach that sexual activity outside of the context of marriage is likely to have harmful psychological and physical effects. The next says that teach, it should teach that bearing children out of wedlock is likely to have harmful consequences for the child, the child's parents and society. Hmm. Okay, the next one says it should teach young people how to reject sexual advances and how alcohol and drug use increases vulnerability to sexual advances. I mean, that's that at least sounds kind of useful, but not in the context of the rest of it. <laughs> it sounds like none of this is backed up by any sort of science or... Yeah. It, like, um, it literally sounds like someone's pastor like <laughs> wrote these... And gave it to, you know, the <laughs> senator and was like, make this a law. That probably is what happened. <laughs> um, the final point says it should teach the importance of attaining self-sufficiency before engaging in sexual activity. I don't know what that means. Like, I have a job? I think so. Yeah. Like, have 
I mean, their view, right, is that sex is for children and only happens inside marriage. And so you should be mm. self-sufficient in terms of having a job and whatnot to support a family if you're going to have sex. Yes. So the final form of federally funded abstinence-based education is community-based abstinence education. Uh, it was formed in 2000 under the Bush administration. It's formally known as SPRANS, Special Projects of Regional and National Significance, which I don't know why, but that name just makes me so mad because it, I feel like it's just hiding what it was trying to do. Of course. Um, but now it's called Community-Based Abstinence Education. This allocates $115 million a year Dang. in federal grants that go to state and local organizations that provide abstinence-only sex ed and emphasize the eight-point definition from Title V of the Social Security Act. So it's even more funding. It's way more money, way more money. And it also has rules that say abortion and contraceptive instruction are prohibited from being taught unless you are teaching about the failure rate of condoms. Whoa. Yes. So there's a lot of really interesting things that are wrapped up in both of these laws, but mostly Title V of the Social Security Act. Particularly, like, you, you can't really separate this law from the systemic racism that it perpetuates. So, wow. let me dig into that a little bit. Okay. Title V of the Social Security Act is federally it's it's federal money so your taxes are going mm -hmm. into this and every state that applies for these funds has to teach that curriculum they have to hit on every single one of those eight points or they do not get their funding 50 million dollars is a lot of money and yeah. the way that this works is that every state that receives these funds must match every four federal dollars with three state dollars. So not only are they getting the money from the U like the, from the federal government, but mm -hmm. they're also putting their own money, like their own state money towards this too, which means that the right. actual amount that's being funded in this is 87.5 million potentially. Yeah, it's like almost double. Yes. And the kicker here is that I'll just read what this says. The amount each state is eligible to receive depends on the percentage of low-income students in the state, which means that the higher percentage of low-income students, the more funds the state receives. Whoa. That means that this funding is specifically targeting low-income students. Wow. So to get the best idea of this, we need to take a step back and look at how public schools are funded. Mm-hmm. I've done a little bit of research into this, and according to the U.S. Department of Education, the federal government contributes about 8% of the funding that goes to U.S. public schools. Okay. The rest is done either by state or local taxes. A very large portion of the local funding is done mm -hmm. by property taxes and income right. taxes. Mm -hmm. So... That's the reason why a lot of lower income areas, their schools get basically no funding because if the people make less money, they're not getting as much money from income tax. And if the like property is like worth a low amount of money, the property taxes yeah. are also going to be really low. 
And if there are a lot of renters, like let's say there's one property that has five units in it, like that's, you know, maybe five kids or 10 kids that need to be educated, but only one, you know, one set of property taxes is being collected. So yes, it, you know, further reduces stuff. Right. Not that many states actually distribute out their funding. So one I wanted to point out because you live in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania <laughs> is that Pennsylvania actually sends 33% less of their funding to high poverty districts. Isn't that fun? Yeah. <laughs> I, it's not fun. And this was actually a thing that we, we talked about in my Pennsylvania public school. There were, it was like a point of contention when teachers had the view that, that money should be more fairly distributed. We, we talked about it in a, mm -hmm. a social studies class where my teacher was slightly more liberal than the rest of people and said <laughs> that this should be a thing. And people were like losing their minds. People were like, that's, that is socialism. <laughs> yeah. Like all this crap. <laughs> so this, like people know this, at least yeah. in, in Pennsylvania, that it's not fair. And there are some people who believe it should be more fairly distributed, but I'm, I'm sure that this is also a thing in many, many other states where, yeah, totally. you know, high income areas have better schools. Right. So the way this connects back to this federal funding, sure. these schools that are not making as much money are going to be so much more likely to apply for these grants mm -hmm. from the federal government to talk about sex education, abstinence-only sex education. And the reason that this plays into race is because white students attend low-income schools only 18% of the time versus 60% mm. of the time for Black and Hispanic students. Uh, I'll go ahead and drop sources for all of these things in our show notes. Uh, that's from a 2016 survey. The reason I say systemic racism is because if you look back, basically all through the 1900s, mm -hmm. you get the concept of redlining when it comes to purchasing property. Right. R redlining being people would discriminate openly against people mm -hmm. of other races. So uh, what you hear about a lot is when the suburbs started getting really popular in the 1950s and people would want to move out of the cities and into the suburbs to get more room, there would be redlining happening around the suburb cities that would make it, you know, people just wouldn't give mortgages to black yeah. people. In certain neighborhoods. So then you, mm -hmm. you get like, basically, for lack of a better term, ghettos created, right? Like you have yes. neighborhoods that are specifically outlined in red on a map that are, mm -hmm. you know, where you'll approve a mortgage for black people mm -hmm. or Latino people or, you know, other people of color and every place else is for white people. And then it is very clear which areas like, you know, the property values are lower, so they get less, mm -hmm. less funding for schools and uh, it's kind of a, a downhill effect. So exactly. Yeah. So the way this all really snowballs together is if people of color are sectioned off to a certain area and then they're attending schools that are less funded than other schools. And so then they're mm -hmm. taking funding from these abstinence only grants there. That means that those students are getting abstinence only sex education at a much higher rate than white students. Yeah. And not even just abstinence only, but like these things False. are medically inaccurate. Yes. yes. In 2004, uh, the Waxman report came out, which showed proof that a lot of these programs contained inaccurate and misleading information. Shocker. <laughs> Since then, there have been multiple studies, particularly in the 2000s. So in 2007, there was a 
bunch of different studies, I believe a total of 17 different programs were evaluated Mm -hmm. and found that abstinence-only programs were deeply ineffective. How ineffective were they? (laughs) (laughs) Abstinence-only sex education programs did absolutely nothing to change the age that people have sex. The only thing that it did do was make it so that people didn't have the education they needed around Mm -hmm. contraceptives. So, in effect, abstinence-only sex education programs were responsible for more people getting pregnant, more people getting STIs and STDs, which Mm -hmm. means that since this is targeting more low-income students and students of color, they are the ones suffering these consequences, getting pregnant more often and Mm -hmm. suffering from infections and diseases. Which also, you know, if you get pregnant at a young age, you're less likely to be able to have the money or the time to go to college and get a higher education and have like a job that you need. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just serves to perpetuate these problems. Yeah. Keeping people in poverty. It's very suspicious of like, is that why these laws are here? Is that why this funding is here? Yeah. Suspicious is one word for it. Systemic (laughs) is the other word for it. Yes. You know, I like I would say I'm surprised, but like this is in many ways the story in the history of America. So, yeah, it's crazy how it all fits together. And like, I'm sure on some level, like obviously people who are into absence only education think they're doing the right thing. Right. But like Mm -hmm. all these all these effects downstream, how can you ignore them? Yeah. Like, how can you be giving an abstinence only education and then either not follow up on what it does to these people down the line or just like mm-hmm. not care enough to to change your beliefs and your your curriculum when you see that it's not working. There are so many studies and sources that clearly state this information. Mm-hmm. So for instance, the Sexuality Information and Education Council of the US says Predominantly non-white school districts receive $23 million less than white districts with the same number of students. Oh, my God. When it comes to the outcomes of abstinence-only sex education, uh, I read this study. It's a little old. It's from 2004. Hopefully, Mm -hmm. things are a little bit better now. But this study said that while Black people are 13% of the population in the United States, they make up 49% of new HIV and AIDS cases and 42% of all-time cases, as well as the fact that 30% of girls in the U.S. were pregnant at least once as a teen of all women, Mm -hmm. but 51% of Black girls in the U.S. were pregnant at least once as a teen. Wow. And and when it comes to like STIs, there was also cases that were saying 41% of chlamydia and syphilis cases were found in Black people aged 18 to 24 and 68% of gonorrhea cases were found in Black people aged 18 to 24. So it's like, hmm, maybe fucking telling people that condoms don't work isn't doing good things for people. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny, but it, it is. It's, yeah, yeah. It's super it's fucked up. up. Like, it's 100%. It is. This is a major failure. The fact that, I mean, like, we say that there's not segregation in the United States anymore, but there totally is. If, like... Most yeah. white people are going to better funded schools and getting fucking scientifically accurate information. And then meanwhile, there's all of these people that are non-white that are getting 
literally scientifically and medically inaccurate information. Yeah, like literally lied to. (laughs) One of the reports said that it found a large number of programs were teaching that condoms are ineffective against HIV. Oh my gosh, internal screaming. Oh my God. Yes. We are still we are still dealing with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Even after all this evidence came out, the Bush administration continued to commit another $170 million a year mm-hmm. to abstinence-only programs. Obama did start sectioning off $75 million in a year to comprehensive sex ed, but the Trump mm-hmm. administration went ahead and eliminated the Teen Pregnancy and Prevention Program, which did used to fund uh, over 84 communities that helped with comprehensive wow. sex ed and teen pregnancy help for especially lower-income areas. So, right. I mean, my belief, I, I I totally respect if people believe that sex should be weighted, like kept until marriage, but that mm-hmm. is something that you need to teach within your own home. That's your, if right. that's your moral belief and responsibility, that's then that's your responsibility to teach that to your children. That's not yeah. something that the government should be teaching. Like we have a separation exactly. of church and state. We need to take care of everybody in our country and by teaching them medically inaccurate sex ed information, we're not taking care of them. We're like actively leading them towards problems. And there are numerous studies that show that that's not the proper way to be teaching sex ed. So like how many more studies do we need to do to change this? I don't know. You know, and and of course we also know that lower income areas and people of color also have worse like health outcomes. So not only are they having, issues with perhaps STIs and pregnancy, but like they're probably having lots of issues in with health related things and getting good health care and and Mm -hmm. being believed by doctors and stuff. And then that, you know, snowballs into other areas of their lives. Like it's all connected Mm -hmm. (laughs) back to each other. So I don't, again, I don't, I don't know if I have answers for this, but it seems like addressing systemic racism Mm -hmm. is where to start, (laughs) which is a huge a huge thing, but I don't know. What do you what What do you recommend we do to start changing this? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one good thing, you know, you can get involved on a community level. So, like, find mm-hmm. out how the schools near you are funded or in your state. Mm-hmm. Find out if your state or your local school is being funded through these programs. If it is, contact your representative and tell right. them you don't want this. Mm-hmm. I think like people just need to know that this is happening and they need to push back against it. Contact your representative in the federal like Congress and tell them that you want a sex ed, a comprehensive sex ed mandate for the whole country. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm all for like pleasure based sex education and all that. I also realize that that's probably not going to happen for a long time, if ever. Right, right. The happy medium is like, don't tell them condoms don't protect against HIV. Exactly. (laughs) And don't tell them that they should just be abstinent because when you only tell people to be abstinent, they end up getting in over their head or doing something that they don't even know the consequences of. Right, right. So teach your kids at home as well. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, don't leave it entirely up to schools to do because. You know, I guess the moral of the story is we don't really know how accurate the information at school is. So talk to your kids about contraception, even if it Mm -hmm. makes you uncomfortable. Talk to your kids about consent and 
risks with sex and you know make sure that they're prepared to be out there in the world even if you mm-hmm. personally want them to be abstinent like that's an option you can tell them about but it's better that they're prepared and make the yeah. decision for themselves than you just mm-hmm. tell them be abstinent and don't say anything else about it yes definitely i mean there are lots of resources out there uh, that you can even just direct your kids to mm-hmm. if you have extra money donate it to some programs that are helping fight against this including the Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States, which I think I've now mentioned like three times. (laughs) I'm looking through some things that the current administration, the Biden administration is looking at right now and some current ways to perhaps get involved in making sure that comprehensive sex education is a reality for everyone. And there are a few congressional acts, it looks like, that are being talked about or sort of in various stages of the process of, you know, maybe getting passed though with our Mm -hmm. pretty conservative legislature. Let's see if that actually happens. So (laughs) it looks like there's a Real Education for Healthy Youth Act that is aimed at ending federal funding of abstinence-only education and funding comprehensive sex education programs. There's also a Youth Access to Sexual Health Services Act that supports sexual health care access for marginalized young people and eliminating abstinence-only sex education programs, redirecting Mm. the money to the Personal Responsibility Education Program and Teen Pregnancy Prevention Program. Um, I realize I said like a lot of policy names (laughs) there. It looks like the Personal Responsibility Education Program funds evidence-based programs that are dedicated to educating adolescents on both abstinence and contraception to prevent pregnancy and STIs. And it also educates youth on other adult, uh, quote, adulthood preparation topics as healthy relationships, parent-child communication, financial literacy, and it it targets youth ages 10 to 19. Um, specifically, those in that age group who are homeless in foster care, live in rural areas, or in geographic areas with high teen birth rates, or come from racial or ethnic minority groups, as well as pregnant and parenting youth. That seems like a great program, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Jen, for going over that. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I know this was an intense episode, but all of this info is on our website in blog format with links to all of our sources. So please go check that out at sexedpodcast.com. As always, we appreciate it if you rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts uh, and tell your friends. We're trying to grow our listenership and get out there into the world. Thank you to Kent for mastering our sound, as always. And thank you for listening. We love you. Thanks, guys. Bye. I mean, the best way to not get in a ski accident is to never go skiing. Right. Which is why I don't ski. (laughs) Which is why I'm also totally abstinent. (laughs) From skiing, obviously. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.